Church, let me invite you to open God's Word with me once again to the New Testament book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. This morning we continue our series, Waking Up to Jesus from Mark's Gospel, and today we're in Mark chapter 8. A special thanks to, to Ben Birdsong for filling in last week and preaching uh, the Scriptures, continuing uh, this study from Mark's Gospel. But uh, today we come to the conclusion of what uh, I'm calling Act 1 of Mark's Gospel. And we could, I think, divide up uh, Mark in three acts. In this first act, uh, Mark has been uh, recording the fact that Jesus has arrived on the scene. And Jesus is going about doing uh, miracles and, and teaching. And Mark wants us to see, he wants his readers to see, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He is the Anointed One of Psalm 2. He is the one enthroned, of, enthroned in heaven uh, of Psalm 2. He is the Son of God in human flesh, the Son of God incarnate. And as he conveys that truth, as he writes in a way that portrays that Jesus is that figure, Mark uh, also, also uh, readily acknowledges at this point in the story uh, that many, most, nearly all, uh, failed to recognize the identity of Jesus. In fact, as we... Uh, look at the scriptures today in our text uh, for today, we'll see that even uh, Jesus' Jesus's disciples, uh, even his closest friends, even those who spent the most time with him, often failed to understand him. Our section of scripture for uh, today and the surrounding portion of God's word is strung together uh, on the image of bread. Now, bread is something we're all familiar with. Uh, bread is a combination of flour and water that's then baked and provides a staple. It has been a staple for every culture. Uh, has been used throughout human history around the world. In fact, uh, the Jones household ran out of bread this past week, uh, and it was kind of a big deal. Um, and not that anyone's keeping record, but dad sort of took one for the team because on one particular day I had a ham and cheese sandwich uh, on two pieces of uh, store-bought heel bread. Now in, in God's word, Jesus multiplies bread and feeds the masses. We've already seen and read about one such encounter where Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children and In Mark chapter 8, we read that Jesus again multiplies bread and feeds the masses, that he multiplies seven loaves of bread and a few small fish and feeds the crowd. In fact, regarding that particular account, listen to what Mark says took place. Mark chapter 8, verse 8, we read these words. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So Jesus, once again, performs an extraordinary miracle. He multiplies bread and fish and feeds thousands of people. We pick up the story today in verse 11. So let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. from Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and following. And there, God's word reads this way. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? 
Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we give you praise this morning, acknowledging that you are a mighty God and you are with us. Lord, you are worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration, worthy of our ears. Father, we pray that you would guide us now as we seek to rightly understand your word, applying it to our lives as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. So according to Mark and other New Testament writers, even other historians beyond uh, the record of the New Testament, Jesus came performing uh, a number of miracles. And I believe Jesus performed miracles for a couple reasons. Uh, he performed miracles because he had compassion on the hurting. He also performed miracles because he was testifying uh, concerning his own identity. According to Mark, at this point in the story, uh, Jesus had already healed a leper. Jesus had healed a paralyzed man. Uh, Jesus had cast out demons. Jesus had even raised a dead girl. Twice, Jesus had multiplied bread and fish and fed the masses. We're told in the Gospels that Jesus taught with wisdom and authority. Yet even so, for the religious elite, so to speak, the rulers of his day, the Pharisees and other religious folk of Jesus' day, these were not enough. This was not enough. For those who came to Jesus with open hearts, seeking to understand him, and to hear him out, and to know who he was, this would have been enough. But these Pharisees don't come to Christ with open hearts. They're not coming with faith. They're not coming with a desire to be convinced of the truth about Jesus. They've already made up their minds concerning Jesus. They've decided that Jesus is a hindrance. He's an obstacle. He's too disruptive. He's too radical. They've decided that they have no need of him. We're told here that they're testing him in order to dismiss him, in order to disregard him. They confront Jesus with a question as if the Son of God is on trial before them. They're self-reliant, self-righteous. There's no hint of faith here, but according to the Scriptures, church, God requires faith in Jesus. The God of the Scriptures, the one and only God, the God that we gather in the name of this morning, is a God who requires faith in Jesus. 
Faith is trust or belief, even in the absence of conclusive evidence. And given the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, and given the life and ministry, miracles and teachings of Jesus, God had already given significant evidence concerning the identity of this Jesus. But for those who want conclusive evidence, those who want hard facts that convince beyond any reasonable doubt, this is not enough. Friends, we all know people like this. These Pharisees were people like this. They were not characterized by faith, yet God requires faith in Jesus. Faith that, according to God's word, is a prerequisite for forgiveness. You see, without faith in Christ, according to the Bible, we remain estranged from God, severed from a right relationship with Him, broken in fellowship with Him like a rebellious child that runs away from home and doesn't return. According to the author of Hebrews, it is impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, according to the Scriptures, according to the New Testament, according to the testimony concerning the life and the teachings of Jesus, faith in Jesus is a pretty big deal. Now, it's not our faith that saves us. Ultimately, it is God's grace that saves us. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor and kindness lavished on us. Yet that grace is applied to our lives through faith in Christ. And Mark wants us to examine the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus and come to the same conclusion that he has. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Savior of the world. That he is worthy of repentance and and trusting him for life. So church, let's, let's continue to take Mark seriously. And let's take him seriously by examining Jesus with humility. Let's examine this Jesus for ourselves and do so with humility. Examine Jesus with humility, not with the arrogance of the Pharisees. Not even with the skepticism of modernity. Let's come to Jesus. Let's read about Jesus. Let's open the text of God's Word. Let's look at His life and let's long to know Him and to rightly understand who He is in in God's plan for history. Let's trust Him. Let's trust the Lord to guide us. Let's long for the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth concerning this Jesus. The story continues. We're told here by Mark that Jesus and the disciples then leave the Pharisees and they get in the boat and they get back on the lake and begin to go across to the other side. And as a side note, Mark tells us that the the disciples forgot to bring any bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Perhaps as Jesus glanced over at that loaf of bread, he cautioned them. He warned them to be careful about the yeast of the Pharisees and and that of Herod. 
And you know that yeast or leaven is a substance that's added to, to dough to cause it to expand. Just a little bit of yeast works its way throughout all of the dough, allowing it to, to expand and grow as it's baked. A little bit of yeast is the difference between hard, flat bread and soft, lump bread. And Jesus says, watch out. He uses a common picture, a physical image of the day that his audience would have been familiar with to warn them of a spiritual truth. But we're told in the scriptures that the disciples don't get it. His friends don't get it. But here's the truth I think he's declaring. It's this, that sin discourages faith. Sin discourages faith. This entire pericope is about faith and faith in in Jesus. Jesus warns his disciples after being tested by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He warns them against two twin dangers, two Two sins that have to do with faith. On the one hand, he cautions them against the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. On the other hand, he cautions them against the worldliness of the Herodians. Both of which turn us inward upon ourselves. Diminishing our, our willingness and our readiness to see the significance of Christ. Both of which have devastating effects on our willingness to believe Willingness to come to faith in Him. Description that Augustine of Hippo and many other theologians throughout the centuries have described as incurvitus inse, curving inward on oneself. You see, sin clouds our vision. Sin discourages faith. And without faith, we know from God's Word that it is impossible to please God. So let's confess our sins. Church, confess your sins. Let's be people who admit our our faults, who own up to our failures, who acknowledge before God that we have fallen short. I tend to think that, that everyone wants to know the truth. I think we all want to know that there's more to life than simply the material things that we see. And the scriptures teach that creation itself, uh, the natural world, whatever we want to call it, that creation itself testifies that there is a God and He is good. And we don't have to dig very deep to know that we are not all that good. There's one thing, if, if my world revolves around me, if, if the world revolves around me, then perhaps I have some, some ground to stand on and defend my self-centered desires and attitudes and ambitions. But if the world is not all about me, then it's a whole other story. In other words, I think the Scriptures teach that apart from this book, apart from even the Bible, natural reason leads us to realize that that there is a God, I am not Him, and I've failed to measure up to His standard. That I am not all that He desires me to be. And friends, that's called sin. John, a disciple of Jesus, leader in the early church, a significant contributor to the pages of the New Testament, says this about sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say, I'm not that bad, I'm not a sinner, I don't do anything wrong, 
We're simply fooling ourselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Church, let's be a people who confess our sin. Let's be a people who swallow our our deepest sin, our pride, and admit our own faults and our own failures, knowing that without faith it is impossible to please God. And sin discourages us from having this faith in God. Sin discourages us from believing in God. Do you believe? Do you believe or is sin clouding your vision? Sin discourages our faith. But according to God's word, faith positions us to know God and his ways. I think the scriptures teach that faith positions us to know God and his ways. So here in verses 14 and 15, Jesus warns the disciples. We're told in verse 16 that the disciples don't get it. Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod and the disciples talk among themselves. Thinking he must be talking about the fact that we only brought one loaf of bread. Soon we're going to need some more bread. And he's telling us from whom to buy it, from whom not to buy it. The disciples are confused. They fail to see that Jesus is talking about Spiritual truths, they fail to remember what it is that this Jesus who is with them has already done. Church, I think sometimes we too dismiss Jesus like the Pharisees. Sometimes we reject the Savior like the rulers of the nations recorded in Psalm 2. Sometimes we forget about God's goodness. We forget about his miracles like the disciples in Mark chapter 8. You see, here is the creator of life. The provider of every good thing is in the boat with them. And the disciples are anxious over a loaf of bread. Church, what are you anxious about today? What concerns do you have? The truth is that We have all gathered this morning with mixed motivations, bringing heavy burdens, perhaps consumed with worldly distractions, and we need to be reminded of God's goodness. For we have gathered as the church here on this Sunday to praise the name of Christ and to hear of His goodness. Like the disciples, we need to be reminded of God's goodness and His power. Let's remember God's goodness. Church, let's remember God's goodness. I don't know what's on your minds this morning. I don't know what's in your hearts today. No doubt some of you have come this morning with deep burdens. Some of you have come this morning grieving. Some of you have gathered today with news of an illness. Some of you gather this morning exhausted, worn down, tired, fatigued from Responsibilities that you have in this life. Some of you gathered this morning empty because you have been running after ambitions and dreams that never satisfy. Friends, some of you no doubt come this morning rejoicing, celebrating, yet others come devastated, wondering where is God? What is He up to? In the midst of 
anxiety, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of doubt. The psalmist says that he will remember the deeds of the Lord. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12, Asaph writes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles, God, of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You see, as Asaph penned and prayed these words, he prayed them with a heavy heart. Out of a circumstance of frustration and hurt and pain and suffering and confusion and and doubt. And the only way that he could begin to trust God in his present circumstances and long for the future was to remember what God had done in the past. And friends, like Asaph, like the disciples, sometimes we forget the goodness of God in the past. We adopt the practice of Anselm of Canterbury and embark on a journey of faith Seeking understanding. Knowing that faith positions us to know God and His ways. An act of love for God that longs to know Him more and more. So let's remember God's goodness. And let's continue trusting Him. Church, continue trusting Him. Continue trusting in the Lord. Clearly disappointed by his disciples' lack of spiritual perception and understanding, Jesus asked them in verse 21, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? Uh, more literal translation, do you not yet understand? You see, the truth is this was not the end of the story. The story wasn't over, not yet. God had begun a plan to redeem a people. A plan that could not and would not be stopped. A plan that would ultimately provide a people who are in right fellowship with God. Soon the disciples would understand. But what the disciples didn't yet realize was that the only loaf in the boat was the only loaf they would ever need. Likewise, church, Jesus is the only true bread that you and I will ever need. The one who satisfies our longing for God by bringing us into right relationship with God. He is the one whose body was broken on the altar of the cross for the sins of the world. Church, next time you and I see a loaf of bread... I hope that we think of the true bread from heaven. The one who told his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 51, I am the living bread from heaven. The one that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. For this bread is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. And unlike this loaf of bread, church, he never runs out. He is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. Let's turn to Him. Let's trust in Him. Let's seek Him. Let's follow after Him. Let's serve Him all of our days. Trust Him today. Friends, Jesus is sufficient. Father, we... 
turn to you in prayer this morning, acknowledging that that you are good and you are with us and you have regarded us with indescribable love. Lord, that you have showered us with your grace, that you provide for us day by day. Father, you are the one who gives us all that we need and ultimately, Lord, we acknowledge what we need most today is you. Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for life. We thank you for forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Lord, help us as we live today, as we live our lives, as we go about this week. Help us, Lord, to live under the truth that that you are enough. Lord, help us to seek and to surrender to the name of Christ. Help us to live for him in a way that glorifies your name. Guide us now, Lord, as we rightly respond to the truths of who you are. Truths made known to us through your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.